0: The Epistle for this Septuagesima Sunday is taken from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Brethren, do you not know that those who run in a race all indeed run, but one receives the prize? So run as to obtain it, and every one in a contest abstains from all things, and they indeed to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. I therefore so run as not without a purpose, I so fight as not beating the air. But I chastise my body and bring it into subjection, lest perhaps, after preaching to others, I myself become rejected. For I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized in Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Yet with most of them, God was not well pleased. Please stand for the gospel gospel is taken from the 20th chapter of the gospel, St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus spoke to his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And Having agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace idle. And he said to them, go you also into my vineyard, and I will give you whatever is just. So they went. And again he went out about the sixth and about the ninth hour and did as before. But about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing about, and he said to them, Why do you stand here all day idle? They said to him, Because no man has hired us. He said to them, Go you also into my vineyard. But when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last even to the first. Now when they of the eleventh hour came, they received each a denarius. And when the first in their turn came, they thought that they would receive more, but they also received each his denarius. And on receiving it, they began to murmur against the householder, saying, These last have worked a single hour, and thou hast put them on a level with us who have borne the burden of the day's heat. But answering one of them, he said, Friend, I do thee no injustice. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is thine and go. I choose to give to these last even as to thee do i not have a right to do what i choose or are you envious because i am generous even so the last shall be first and the first last for many are called but few are chosen please be seated in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost amen dear reverend fathers dear faithful there's a condition that you probably know of called vertigo that happens when when someone has the sensation that that the world around them is spinning when in fact it's not moving at all somehow their perception of reality has become skewed apparently this can happen um if someone gets calcium carbonate crystals in the fluid in their inner ear so so your your inner ear is is helping you to orient yourself in, in a given situation. And there's there's fluid in there that, that helps you keep your balance. But if, the, if these crystals get in that fluid, then you lose balance. You, you lose your proper perception of reality. You get vertigo. So the same thing can happen on the side of our mind, something we could call intellectual vertigo. Where because of our warped judgment, our warped perception of reality, we are not seeing the world around us from a proper perspective. And there's a certain intellectual vertigo that is common today among modern people where in a certain sense they think that the world is spinning around them. They, they have this notion that they are the center of importance and that they no longer see sin as being an offense against God. Um, they modern people we we still keep the notion that we can offend our neighbor, we can offend our fellow man. But as I say, we 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 are tempted to lose the notion that we can offend God. Rather, we tend to consider God as someone who loves us with an unconditional love, and this is true. But also with an unconditional approval, such that whatever we do, no matter what, God is still happy with us. And that is not the case. That is to experience a certain intellectual vertigo where where you're not really perceiving reality as it is. I went online yesterday to try to find some examples of this, and there is a site called Women's Day that just gives inspirational scripture quotes. And there's a series of quotes about God loving us. And after one of these quotes, that's quoting from the prophet there there's a commentary that says the following, the Lord is your biggest supporter. When you succeed, he succeeds. He's always cheering you on. Well, this is not true. God is not always cheering you on. He's definitely not cheering you on when you're committing sin. That's just not the case. And unfortunately, there were some words from Pope Francis five years ago that implied the same thing. He said, we know that the state of sin distances us from God. But in fact, sin is the way that we distance ourselves from Him. Yet that does not mean that God distances himself from us. The state of weakness and confusion that results from sin is one more reason for God to remain close to us. The certainty of this should accompany us throughout our lives. God's love is greater than anything we can imagine, reaching beyond even the worst sins we find within us. So this idea that, that somehow our sins against God, our offenses against God, our betrayals of God, are a motive for God to be closer to us than we than He was before. It's not correct. It's not. It's 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 a improper way of seeing our relationship as creatures with God. It can lead to this idea that that Luther had, you know, where where he would say, uh, "Sin boldly, but believe." even more boldly. In other words, that when you fall into sin, the, the way to deal with it is effectively to have a complete and utter trust that you're still good with God, no matter what. Um, and that's how, basically, you, you deal with sin. This, as I say, is a certain intellectual vertigo. God is approaching me no matter what I do. No matter what I do, I receive God's unconditional Approval. It's interesting to to note that um, the season, season of Septuagesima no longer exists in in the Novus Ordo. This is something they did away with. It's that the usual excuse was given that they they said, well, you know? Why why do we have Septuagesima? We've been doing this for centuries. And in fact, the, this tradition goes back way way back, even before." St. Gregory the Great, you know, to the earliest centuries of the Church, to have this longer period of penance and reflection upon our sins. And they said, well, well this, this season is not Christmas, it's not Lent, it doesn't make any sense, so we'll just get rid of it. Um, when, when obviously we, we know it's, it's there precisely to ease us away from the Christmas period and get us ready for the season of Lent, so you just don't jump right in to, to Lent directly after Christmas. So we we need this period of reflection and motivation before we start the period of Lent. But the fact that Septuagesima is gone now in in the uh, um, conciliar world means that the vast majority of Catholics today will not be hearing the words of today's epistle where Saint Paul says of the Israelites in the desert not that God loves them with an unconditional love, not that God approves them no matter whatever they do, but that with most of them, God was not well pleased. They will not be hearing about how St. Paul chastised his flesh and brought it into subjection, lest, after he had preached to many others, he himself become a castaway. And this, this is something that, that hits a priest really hard. Because I'm up here preaching to you. And St. Paul is saying to me, yeah, Father Robinson, you may have preached. Many servants, you may have been powerful in what you've preached. But be careful. Because you too could become a castaway if you turn against God. You can turn against God. And people will be saying, you remember those sermons that Father Robinson gave us? Yeah. And now look at him. Now look at what's become of him. Our traditional liturgy assists us not to have intellectual vertigo where we are having this perception that everything is right with God and God approves me no matter what I do. It gives us this true perspective of our relationship with God, this truth that if I die in the state of mortal sin, I will go to hell because I have cast God off. God is not able to do anything with me if I reject him. He will say to me, I love you, but you do not love me. And no one can work with that. You cannot form a relationship that's only one way. And that, that is the truth of the matter. We have to love God. We have to serve God. Consider the words of our Lord that depict For us the last judgment in Matthew, Matthew 25. He puts words on his own mouth that he as judge will say to us, depart from me, accursed ones, into the everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't know of anywhere in the Bible where it says that God never distances himself from us, even if we sin or that sin is a reason for God to remain close to us or even to draw closer to us. Today's gradual says that God will not abandon those who seek Him. It doesn't say He will not abandon anybody. It says those, He will not abandon those who seek Him. Meanwhile, the tract says, If you, Lord, mark iniquities, Lord, who can stand? If you know my sins, I'm lost. This time of Seppur V'Gesuma is is one where we we put away the mood of celebration. The the church forbids us to say one word during this time, the word Alleluia. Yesterday was the last time in the liturgy that the priest says this word. We don't say it again until Easter. We put away this this mood of celebration, and we get ourselves ready for Lent. We, We remember the reality of sin. We look at it square in the face and St. Paul in these three Sundays gives us all these motivational speeches to do battle against us. And in our Catholic tradition, we, we really, we look at it hard so that we not become lost. You know, if you, if you go on the Ignatian exercises and the Ignatian exercises are so fruitful for our souls, just precisely because St. Ignatius is determined to um, make us confront the, the difficult realities of our, of our human condition and our relationship with God. But one of the meditations he he has us think about ourselves being in hell, and we and we think about what, our, what what it would be like to to be there. What sins we probably would have committed to get there? Um, the the weakness that is in us that would cause us to sin, to cause us to abandon, abandon God, to leave God. Um, what, what is it that would land me in hell if, if I was there? You know that, that St. Therese of Avila, even though she was a Carmelite nun, God, God gave her this grace to, to be able to have a vision of her being in hell, her place in hell. There's kind of this, uh, name tag in hell where, this place where, where, where she was there and and that was a place reserved for her it was just a warning from god to to say oh yeah you're a carmelite nun but you're getting worldly if you keep going down this path this is where sister Teresa is going to be spending her eternity and it it served to wake her up we have to be ready to acknowledge my dear faithful that that we are sinners that we offend God, and that unless we we do our part to love Him, to to serve Him, then we too will become castaways. The word that that appears in the Vulgate, in the Latin um, Scripture, is is reprobus, you know, the reprobate, the one who is who is cast off. Our Mass, this this Mass that we love so much, it it assists us. To have this proper perspective on our relationship with God, it it informs us of the proper attitude that we should have. It reminds us so much, and especially the priest, Um, there's so many prayers, even the priest says silently, and and he just says by himself, that remind him that that he is a sinner, that he needs to get himself in shape uh, to be worthy to approach God. I just want to mention three prayers among many, many in the Mass. Three prayers that, that are no longer found in the Mass, that, that do not, are not present in the Novus Sorto Mass. One of them is, the, is the Indulgentium, that's prayed twice after the confidior, the two Confidiers, where the priest asks for pardon, absolution, and remission of our sins. After the first Indulgentium as, as the priest is, is walking up the altar, up the steps of the altar, he says a, a prayer silently to himself, the Alpha Nobis, and he asks God, please take away my iniquities so that I can enter worthily into the Holy of Holies. And then at the very beginning of, of the offertory, when, when the priest holds up the patent with the host on it and offers the host uh, to God, he, he says the following words, accept a holy father, Almighty and eternal God, this unspotted victim, which I, thy unworthy servant, offer unto thee, my living and true God, for my innumerable sins, offenses, and negligences, and for all here present. This time of of Septuagisima is is a time for us to remember um, what a blessing it is for us to have the Sacrament of Confession. Uh, St. Paul today speaks about the Israelites in the desert and and we should we should thank God that that we do not live in the Old Testament, but we have this blessed means to reconcile ourselves with God, to make things right with God um, through this sacrament of confession. It should be a great consolation to us as as Catholics to have this sacramental forum where we go in and we we profess ourselves to be sinners. We tell God that we are sorry, and we receive that absolution where our souls are washed clean of the sins that we have committed. There are five elements that, that go into making for a valid confession, a valid and worthy confession that I just want to remind you of um, that we find in, in our catechism so that we can make a good confession at, at this time. Of the liturgical year, the first is the examination of conscience, um, where where we are our own judges. We we judge our conscience as as best as we can. We we try to uh, discern what there is in us that might be against God. In what ways have I offended God? Uh, this is this is not meant to be. Uh, an exercise in, in frustration we just do the best we can according to our current judgment according to what we see we are the, the purpose of the examination is is not to Examine so thoroughly we find absolutely every sin and a lot of times we because of lack of memory or um, Lack of perception. We're, we're not able to do that. Uh, that's not that's not a problem um, but the the main thing is for us to be to try to assess our relationship with God and to find as best we can what in what ways we might have offended him. The most important element of a valid confession is our contrition, that we truly be sorry for our sins. At least we be sorry for our sins knowing that they would send us to hell if, if, we, if we die in the state of mortal sin. But, but even more, to try to excite in us a contrition for sin because we have offended a good God to to see every sin as a betrayal of the God who has given us absolutely everything, to remember that if we have any happiness or joy or pleasure in this life, and, and we do, there's so many good things for us in this life. Um, they come from our good God. That is the source of them all. So when, when I commit a sin, I turn against him, the source of, of everything that I have that is good. Then... There is also the confession of sins, where we go into the confessional and we humbly become our own accuser in order to rectify justice, to do justice before God. Again, this should be a consolation for us to the degree that we that we acknowledge that I am a sinner and I have offended God. Um, it, it is nice to to go in there and say, I have sinned. These are the things that I have done. Then the purpose of amendment is the fourth condition for a valid confession, where we need to form the resolution before we go to confess our sins to do what is necessary to avoid mortal sin. The purpose of amendment is kind of an outward sign that we have true contrition for our sins. Um, you just think if if someone says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry um, for having stolen your car, and you say, well, would you... Would you do it again if you had the chance? And They said, well, heck yeah. Yeah, I would, I would do it. Um, then, then you would rightly say, well, you're, well, you're not really sorry for this sin, um, that, that you've done against me, this way you've offended me. So this is why the, the priest in, in justice, he has, to, he has to have a certain guarantee that a person who is habitually falling into mortal sin is taking the steps necessary to resolve that. Um, that, especially that there's, not a continual will to place themselves in the occasion of mortal sin. So if, if, if someone is, is falling into the habitual sin of viewing pornography, for instance, and there's a, a means for avoiding the occasion of sin by, by putting a blocker on the device that, that is broadcasting this pornography, and, and the, and the person doesn't want to do that, well, that's a sign that, that they're not really sorry. For committing this sin there's no real desire to stop committing the sin because they're not willing to take the steps necessary to avoid it or if you have a couple who who are falling into sin together they're dating and they're they're falling into sin on a regular basis and you say are are you going to try not to be alone together not not to be in a private place together where you're going to have this strong temptation to fall into sin they say no I mean we're we're still planning on being together privately well again there's not this firm purpose of, of amendment. Again, most most shockingly, um, there was there was a report that came out a few weeks ago about Pope Francis speaking to to these seminarians in Barcelona and, and telling them um, that even if someone, even if they think that someone is not sorry for their sins, that that they should give absolution. And this is just a violation of the of the rights of God. Um, to, to pretend that things are right with God when you have the will to betray him. And it's contrary to the to the whole history of the church, the whole jurisprudence of the church. It, it effectively pretends that, that sin doesn't matter. It does not offend God. It, the, the priest has the duty to say, I am going to defer absolution. I will give you absolution, but not right now. You have to do this thing so that you can... Prove, you can give evidence that you have a firm purpose of amendment. I have to have concrete signs of, of that. The last, um, condition for a valid and fruitful confession is the willingness to perform the penance that, that the priest gives the, the penitent in the confession. So, the, uh it's, it's important for the, for the penitent to, to just say, if, if they're not, when the, when the priest gives the, the penance, to just tell the priest if, if they're not able to do that. Um, if, if the priest gives a penance, for instance, to someone and says, I, I would like you to fast on, on a given day, and, and they're a diabetic, I mean, it would, it would be perfectly legitimate for them to say, look, Father, I'm, I'm a diabetic, and if I stop eating uh, during the day, if I don't eat throughout the day, then I will faint. And the priest will say, "Okay, no, no problem. You know, I'll give you a, a different penance, but but otherwise, there, there should be this willingness uh, to perform the penance that the priest gives us." So, my dear faithful, this this season of, of Septuagesima is a is a very beautiful time for us uh, to be inspired by the words of Saint Paul and to get ready for Lent, especially by um, coming to terms with this reality of sin. Um, we will not be approved by God if we offend him. God does not approve our offenses against him. And we have the duty to make things up with him as often as we commit sins. So we prepare by remembering our sins, seeking to purify our souls, and not following into this intellectual vertigo that afflicts so many people today, but they have the perception that all is right with God no matter what they do following the inspirational words of saint paul uh, we must have this desire to run during this this time to run towards god to to chastise our bodies to bring it into subjection um, to work for our salvation so that we can possess god forever and ever in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost amen